aside your bulletins is the call to worship. It comes from the 145th Psalm again. It is a psalm in which many of the attributes of God are set before us. His grace, His mercy, His anger, His majesty, all found here in this psalm. Will you stand together with me as we call one another to worship with this responsive reading? The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is good to all. His mercies are over all His works. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked will he will destroy. Now let us take our Trinity hymn books and turn to number 13. Number 13 in the Trinity hymn book, O Worship the King, All Glorious Above. Number 13.
Dear Father, thank you for this day you have given us. Uh, Thank you that we can meet here today to worship you. Thank you for the free gift of salvation you have given us through your only begotten Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Now take your hymns of grace and turn to 219. 219. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not right. Is that what I told you? What was it? I'm sorry. I don't know that hand signal. 210. I'm not sure. 210. I will sing of my Redeemer. 210.
We're going to be reading John chapter 3 for the consecutive reading. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say, uh, say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how can you believe me if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wil- in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, the light that has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem. Because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what has been seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. 
for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we've got a prayer once again this morning. We want to especially pray for Pastor Steve Huffmeyer from uh, the Trinity Baptist Church in Montville, New Jersey. He, he left, I think it was on Wednesday, to go to Hong Kong, and he'll be at Hong Kong this weekend preaching for Thomas Chung, and then be leaving there to go to the Philippines, and there he'll be involved in the Moonwalk Community Bible Church, a church that uh, Pastor Huffmeyer was privileged to be a part of seeing uh, planted and then grow, and now have uh, Filipino pastors. And so he's going to be ministering there. He also has a wedding he's going to perform of a couple that were children, young children, when he planted the work in Moonwalk. And they've invited him back to uh, do that worship service. Pastor Hoffmeyer also has a daughter, an adopted daughter from the Philippines, so and a granddaughter and a son-in-law all living in the Philippines. So he'll be visiting then, I'm sure, as well. So... Uh, pray for Pastor Huffmeyer as he comes to mind even this coming week. Let's seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as your word was read this morning, how each of us should have hearts filled with gratitude for the glorious truth that has been expressed when we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Father, what a wonderful gift. What a costly gift that you were willing to give your own son that we might have life and have it abundantly. Father, we are sobered with the reality of what we read that those who do not know the son are abiding under the wrath of God. Father, we pray that there might be many today, here in this place, as well as wherever your word is preached, who would be brought out from under that wrath by turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Father, would you do that work Father, we pray that as your word goes forth, not only here, but, but around the world, including in Hong Kong and the Philippines, that you will bless and give an increase that only you can give. And so, Father, we pray that you'll give men boldness to proclaim the truth and that the Spirit of God would be so working that it would awaken men to their need of a Savior even this day. Father, we do thank you for Pastor Huffmeyer and for his labors many years there in the Philippines. And Father, we pray that as he visits, even with Thompson Chung and his wife Irene, that he will be an encouragement to them and, and that he will be used by you in that congregation, the Trinity Baptist Church there in Hong Kong. 
And then as he goes on to the Philippines, may you give him the strength that he needs as he preaches, as no doubt he will spend time visiting folks that he has known for many years as he performs this wedding. We pray, Father, that he will know of your help and that the Spirit will use him mightily, especially at the Moonwalk Community Bible Church. Give him safety. Watch over him, we pray. Father, we, we pray again and, and rejoice with those that rejoice. We, we thank you for the new grandson of the Millers, how we're thankful for that news, and pray that Dale and Rhonda would be an influence of good in his life, and that in days to come, he might be an instrument of delight in the fact that you would bring him unto yourself. Pray for James and Rachel. Father, we pray that they would be sobered by, again, the responsibility of bringing up a little one. And that, Father, this might be a means to do them good spiritually as well. But, Father, how we give you thanks for this life that you've been pleased to bring into the world and for the safe delivery and care for both mother and baby. Now, Father, we ask that you would draw near to us this morning. May the word of God come and be effective in each one of our hearts and lives. And may you receive glory and honor. And we ask all these things in that name which is above every name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take the Trinity hymn book, turning to 757, 757, to Thee, O God, we render thanks. Again, it is a hymn in which we not only see and, and give thanks to God for His grace and the salvation that we have, but there's also a warning to those who do not believe here in this hymn. 757.
Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. We have been in the Song of Moses for a few weeks now. I believe we're going to finish it today. I know I said that last week. My wife says every time I say that, we're not going to finish it. But um, we're going to finish the song today. If I have to keep you the whole afternoon, we're not going to be here that long. But we hope to finish the song. Now, I'm not sure... If in the original, in the Hebrew, there were verses to this song that was to be learned, memorized, and sung each time that the assembly gathered together, as well as in their homes. They they were to memorize this song because the truths found in this song were important truths for them to remember. And so whether there were verses or not that told the story, I don't know. But there were many themes that they would learn as they would sing this song together. They were reminded about their God and how he was their creator. He he has been their provider. He has been their protector. Verse 6 says, Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you? There's the theme of their actions, of their rebellion to the true and the living God found in this psalm. In verse 15 we read, "Then Then he forsook God who made him. And scorn the rock of his salvation. Then God sort of responds to that rebellion against him. What we read here in the song, Then he said, I will hide my face from them. They will be made, they will, they have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with idols. Goes on, verses 23 to 27, to talk about the calamity and misfortune that he will bring upon them. So then he asks his response You're going to forsake me? I'll hide my face from you. Calamity and misfortune will befall you. But then he has a request in the middle of this song. I, I don't know if it's the application of the song or not, but we looked at it last week there in verse 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would discern their future. Oh, if they would only see what lie before them if they're going to be rebellious against God. And then in this song, there's the contrast between the true and the living God and the idols and false gods that they would worship. The idols, their very nature was that of of being wicked. We read there in verse 32. For their vine is from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their their grapes are grapes of poison. Their cluster bitter. The wine is venom of a servant. 
and deadly poison as cobras. So the, the very nature of the gods that you're going after is that of, of wicked and evil. Not only that, these gods are, are helpless. They're useless. He, he reminds them of that when he says there in verse 37, and he will say, where is their God? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of the sacrifices and drank the wine of the drink offering. Let them arise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. Where, where are these gods when you need them? They're not to be found. They're, they're absolutely useless. So, so those are some of the themes that, that we hear throughout this song. But now as we bring this song to a conclusion, in this song that Moses writes at the command of Yahweh, he reminds them of the consequences of their sin. He reminds them that all sin will face judgment, whether it be the sin of the sons of Israel or whether it be the sins of the nations that God will use to bring judgment upon the sons of Israel. Your sin will find you out. And there are consequences that come because of your sin. There will be judgment. We don't like to speak and hear necessarily about the wrath and the judgment of God. The, as Paul said, the, the severity of God's judgment. At times, we're almost embarrassed to speak about the wrath and anger of God. We hear very little in our day about the jealousy of God that, that provokes his anger. We would far rather hear about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the, the love of God. But there's a real absence in our day, I, I, I believe, in evangelical circles even, concerning the wrath and the anger and the judgment of Almighty God. But do you know in the scriptures, the wrath and the judgment of God is spoken of more often than the love and the grace of God. And yet, we ignore it. We, we ignore verses like what we find in, in Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1 says, God is jealous and the Lord revenges. The Lord revenges and is furious. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and will not at all declare innocent the wicked. 
He'll seek revenge over his enemies. And will not simply declare innocent the wicked. Hebrews 12 and verse 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. And so this morning, I, I want us to, to hear what this song has to say with regard to the severity as well as the kindness of God. For both are found here in this song. So to begin with, notice with me the severity or, or the goodness and the severity of God towards the sons of Israel. The goodness and severity of God towards the sons of Israel. Let's begin by considering the severity of God towards the sons of Israel. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, writes that severity means literally cutting off. It denotes God's decisive withdrawal of his goodness from those who have spurned it. Mr. Packer goes on to write that behind every display of divine goodness stands a threat of severity in judgment if that goodness is scorned. If we do not let it draw us to God in gratitude and responsive love, we have only ourselves to blame when God turns against us. Behind every display of divine goodness, and God's been very good to Israel, He's going to give them this land, this, this land of milk and honey, stands the thread of severity in judgment. Now, as we read through this song, there, there are certain things we notice together concerning the severity and goodness of God. First of all, the certainty of judgment. The certainty of judgment. He, he has reminded the children of Israel, when you go into the land, and, and if you follow after false gods, and, and you forsake the true and the living God, judgment will come upon you. And he says here now, in verse 34, Is it not laid up in store with me, and sealed up in my treasury? Vengeance is mine, and retribution. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. Notice the terminology that's used here. Sealed up among my treasures. That, that statement carries the idea that there, there's an action or there is an appointment by which a person is bound to fulfill at a certain time. God has told them 
If you rebel, if you do not obey, judgment will come. And it's as though God says to them, that, that, that's sealed. That, that's going to happen. It may not come quickly. You may not know when it will come. But he's saying it is a certainty. It is laid up in a place of safety. The time and the manner might be unknown. But that judgment is sure to come if you disobey me. And, and though the delay of punishment may happen, there will be a day of reckoning that has been set. And, and don't, don't we see that? I mean, remember, this is a song that they're learning as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. But it's a song, unfortunately, that's a prophecy of what will take place. Because they will rebel. And they will forsake the living God. And after a time, God's judgment will come upon them because of their disobedience. And God will send judges among them to point out their sin and their rebellion. God is a jealous God, and His anger is real. And He reminds them of that reality in this song. So we see the certainty of the judgment. It will fall upon you. But then secondly, notice with me the compassion of the judge. Vengeance is mine. Retribution will come. The days of their calamity is near. The impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate His people and will have compassion on His servants. And when He sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, He, he, he reminds them that He is a compassionate and a merciful God. And he says here, basically, that he has compassion upon them. It's not that their sin is condoned or ignored, but they can be forgiven. That's the good news. That they can be forgiven. Judgment and love are not alien, but complementary characteristics of Yahweh. Yahweh will vindicate His people and will have compassion both. Judgment will come upon the children of Israel, but He has compassion upon them. And He will bring them to realize that left to themselves, they have no hope. They will lose strength, they will find themselves in bondage, and it is then that God will bring a deliverer. But it's not until they come 
to understand their complete inability to do anything on their own. So until self-reliance is drained away, it's not till then that God shows mercy and grace. It's, it's like the prodigal son. Remember, you know, he went to the far city and, and he's, he's thinking, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And the next thing he knows, he has no money. He's eating with the pigs. And he comes to himself, the Bible says. He realizes, I'm not worthy to be called his son. I'll go and see if I can be one of his servants. And, and that's what God says to the children of Israel. Your rebellion will bring my judgment. I am a jealous God and you will know my anger. I will judge you. I will discipline you. But once you come to the place when you see that their strength is gone and there remains and none is remaining bond or free, then God will show mercy and bring the deliverer. So here we see, again, both the severity and the goodness of God, the certainty of judgment, the compassion of the judge. But then notice, secondly, the severity of God towards his adversaries. The severity of God towards his adversaries. The very nation God will use to bring judgment upon his people, he will judge. He will judge. Verse 41, I will render, I will render, I can't get that word out, vengeance, there it is, on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. Yahweh's done this in the past. This isn't something new. In Egypt, there was the death of the firstborn. There, there was a whole city destroyed by fire. There was a flood that covered the whole earth. I will repay those that hate me. And though these very nations have been instrumental in the execution of God's judgment over His people, they themselves would experience the wrath of God because of their hatred toward God and their opposition, they were adversaries. Now I want you to notice with me concerning the judgment that falls upon the nations, that falls upon the adversaries. Notice the, the severity of it. First of all, notice its certainty. Its certainty. Indeed, I lift up my hand to the heavens. And, and say, as I live forever, this is God making an oath. This is God's pledge. And, and he can swear, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, he can swear by no one better than himself. 
But he makes this a solemn pledge, a solemn oath. I raise my hands towards heaven. This will happen. So this divine sentence comes with an oath. The certainty. Secondly, notice the preparation. The preparation. We read here, If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hands take hold on justice, I will render vengeance to all my adversaries and I will repay those that hate me. If I sharpen my flashing sword, He, he, it's, it's, it's the picture of, of someone preparing for battle. He, he's polishing that sword. He's sharpening that sword. He, he's making sure it's ready for battle. Blood for blood, his adversaries will pay the price of their opposition against God. Now the good thing is, in the midst of preparation, in the midst of preparation, it gives sinners opportunity to repent and make peace. So there's this preparation that takes place. Psalm 7 and verse 12. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. God's preparing the judgment that is to come. So there is this certainty, that there is this preparation, but then there's the execution. The execution. And it's a terrible sight. I will make my arrow drunk with, verse 42, drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh with blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemies. Here's a description of the severity, the, the wrath of God that, that falls upon the opposition to God. It, it's a terrible sight. The arrows are drunk with blood. The sword will devour the flesh. This is not a pretty picture. When we read these things, your stomach ought to turn with the very sight of the wrath of God falling upon these individuals. He says here, with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemies. And 
And, and I, I believe that what he's saying here, this is true not only for the servants, but for the king. It, it takes in all of them, the slaves, as well as the king. God's wrath is real. God's anger is fierce. He, he is a, a consuming fire. To, to experience the wrath of Almighty God is to be in a state of unspeakable and undescribable torment, misery, and anguish. Do we believe that? Do, do we really believe that the wrath of God and the anger of God is a real thing? And why are we bothered by it? The wrath and anger of God it ought to be a reminder to each one of us how, how horrible sin is. The, the wrath and anger of God, if it truly got a hold of us, ought to want to make us warn others. This is your end. This is the consequence of you going on in your sin. And this isn't just a slap on the wrist. No, no, don't do that anymore. This is not an idle threat. This is a reality. To all those who oppose God. To all those who will not bend their knee to God. God is, God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be made light of. God is not to be thought of as a Santa Claus that, that simply goes around and, and, and showers us with gifts. He, he is a consuming fire. And it ought to break our hearts to think about the number of loved ones and neighbors who, if they died today, would experience His wrath. And I wonder how many of them have heard me warn them of that reality. How often have I kept my mouth shut when I should have said something about the reality of what death will mean for them. To be under the wrath of God is to be in a state, as I said a while ago, of unspeakable and undescribable torment, misery, and anguish. A.W. Pink, in his book on the attributes of God says this, 
Yes, many there are who turn away from a vision of God's wrath as though they were called to look upon some blotch in His divine character or some blot upon the divine government. But what saith the Scriptures? As we turn to them, we find that God has made no attempt to conceal the fact of His wrath. God has made no attempt to conceal the fact of His wrath. He is not ashamed to make it known that vengeance and fury belongs to Him. Some of you who have ignored God, some of you who have been indifferent to God, some of you who continue to live the way that you want to live without giving any thought to truly being a disciple of Christ by faith in Christ. My friends, hear it. Listen, this is your end if you continue in that. God will not wink at your sin. But you will know of His wrath, His anger, His fury. You know what's, what's amazing? Some said here this morning, and you hear that and you're still indifferent to your relationship to God. That's scary. But it's a sobering reality. Believe me, I, I would far rather preach on the goodness and grace of God. I would far rather have you look at me and smiling saying, Oh, isn't God wonderful? As to look at me saying, Why did we get up this morning? And come to hear this? But if nothing else, I pray that I can put my head on the pillow tonight and say, Lord, I've got a good conscience that at least my people know that God is a jealous God who gets angry with a righteous anger and will bring about a righteous judgment because He's a just God and your sins deserve to be punished. And not with a slap on the wrist. Not with simply demerit. Okay, you're going to be in detention for a few years. Alright? Going to put you down in detention for a little bit, and then, you know, once you, you work yourself out of detention after a while. But no, this is eternal. This is everlasting. It, it's a fire that, that never disappears, it's a reality. But thank God there's a conclusion to the song. So if you've tuned me out so far, Come back. 
Because notice the conclusion of the song. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will revenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Great will be the rejoicing of the saints in the day when the Lord shall vindicate his majesty, shall exercise his awesome dominion, shall, shall magnify his justice, shall, shall overthrow the proud rebels who dare to defile him. Great, great rejoicing will happen on that day. Revelation 19, verses 1 through 3, describe it this way. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belongs to God because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who, corrupting the earth, with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! There, there will be a season of great rejoicing. Great rejoicing in, in the God, the Yahweh that we, we serve in his presence. as we will see him so majestic, sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning over all things, and bringing about justice, correcting wrongs and evils, by, by casting men into hell, they'll be rejoicing in God's justice. He says here, he sort of sums everything up. He will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. That word atone means covered. There's a cover. We're all guilty of breaking God's law. We all deserve his wrath. There's not an individual here that doesn't rightly deserve his wrath. Well, how does God clear the ungodly? How, how does God forgive sin? Well, He's given us a covering. He sent His only begotten Son. Isn't it interesting that in God's providence, we read this morning, John 3.16, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will never perish but have everlasting life. The good news is God is a merciful God. God is a God of grace. God does forgive sin. God covers our sins. Not by pretending we're not sinners. By, by casting our sins upon His Son and covering us in the righteousness of His Son that comes when we're in union with Him by faith. There is atonement. There is a covering. 
There's no, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As horrible as that wrath is, there's no condemnation upon a true believer. And so as we conclude the song of Moses, first of all, we walk away by recognizing all glory goes to God. This is God's doing. And to Him be the glory. But secondly, we walk away with a sense of terror. The terror that will come upon His enemies. The terror that comes upon those who oppose Him. The wrath of God will be revealed from heaven against them one day. My friend, if you're here this morning without knowing Jesus Christ, one day it will happen. The terror and wrath of God. And yet, this song speaks comfort to God's people. It speaks about the reality of the atonement and, and the rejoicing that will take place because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. The song of Moses. Revelation tells us we'll sing it in heaven. I don't know if this is the exact one, but the song of Moses will be sung. And I can imagine when we get to that point of singing about the atonement, we'll, hallelujah, hallelujah. For our sins are covered in His righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that You're a jealous God. You make that clear in the Scriptures. And that even as Your children... You will not allow us to go on in our sin. For whom the Lord loveth, He chastens. So Father, if any of us are playing and dabbling with sin and evil, may we see we're not going to get away with it. God will discipline. And then therefore may we be quick to confess our sins knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive us. Father, we, we know that you stand opposed to sin even to the end. That in your justice, you, your wrath will thunder down upon so many. Th th there's coming a day when all those outside of Christ will will cry out for the rocks and, and the mountains to fall upon them as opposed to experiencing the terror that comes being under the wrath of God. Father, how we pray this morning that you would awaken some to that reality. There is a day coming. If, if they continue in their sins and will not repent... There's a day coming when, when, when they will understand completely what it means when it speaks of God being a consuming fire. Father, we pray that, that they will not delay, but even now flee to Jesus Christ, who alone is able to forgive sin. That they might be able to say that I no longer live under condemnation. 
being found in Christ Jesus. Do, do a work. By the work of your spirit this morning, may you have dealings with some who, who sat here week after week after week and yet still have not bowed their knee to Christ. May today truly be that day. And may you receive all the glory and the honor as we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, in the study this, this week as I was preparing all this, this hymn in the Hymns of Grace, 181 kept coming to mind. His robes for mine. That's my only hope. It's my only hope. And so we shall sing this in closing together. 181, Hymns of Grace.
wonderful thought. That's my only hope. His robes were mine. Yeah.